And now it's time for Cadaver Classics. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the inaugural, the, the first official inaugural episode of uh, the Cadaver Lab Presents Cadaver Classics. Um, you, you may be familiar with the setup. It's, it's of course, me, Mike, with uh, a guy you might have heard of named... That's your cue, dude. Oh, is that my cue? <laughs> I, I should have fuck, fucking paid attention during rehearsals. I mean, it's... Yeah, I was going to say, this. you're really ruining our professional rep here, man. Yeah, I'm fucking Steven. The F word guy, if you're not... Uh... The, the, the fuck guy. That's me. <laughs> oh, it's a spooky Bill's wife. Yeah, it, that's that's pretty fucking sad, I guess. I don't know, me. And my, my mom actually got on my shit the other night. It's like really, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about figuratively. Something. I hope. Yes, because yes, <laughs> we we're on the phone. Uh, you know, uh-huh. We save that stuff for you know Thanksgiving. Oh, okay, but, okay, right. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's fucking bullshit, mom. And she was just like, you have really got to stop using that word. I was like. Are you serious? Do you you don't know anything about me, do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? That that's a, that's the beauty of being a parent. You're never you're always learning wonderful things about your children. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I haven't done anything to really disappoint her in a while, so I figured oh, Yeah, I might as well just keep the profanity thing going. Oh, the good. Well, yeah. You, all in all in the in the big scheme of things, that's that's a pretty minor, minor one. Yeah, got got disappoint her every now and then, and so. <laughs> well, you can't let her get her. Uh, you know, you can't have too high of expectations. I mean, then yeah, if I ever ever do something like really great, uh-huh. uh, they're they're not gonna know what the fuck to do. <laughs> well, they'll probably go into some kind of a of a mental fit because uh, it, you know, well, push I, them over I, the I, edge. Well, I figure I will become very successful and then let it change me. That's a and great that, way to look that, at that, it. That will be that'll be the ultimate disappointment. I'll be like, yes, I have, I have finally you know, published my novel. I <laughs> am a successful you know, New York Times you know, best-selling right author, and <laughs> now I'm going to get addicted to heroin. Oh, just man, just so a- my, just so my mom doesn't you know, have a heart attack or anything. Cause, why? Because if that's you're successful, little freaker. Oh, oh yeah, that's... She, would, she wouldn't know what the fuck to do. Well, you know what? That's just the way moms are. They're gonna love you no matter what. You know, as long as you you're you're yourself. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> hi, mom. Love you. Yeah, because I'm sure she's a big listener. Oh, she <laughs> she she is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Really? Because oh, I'm gonna start cleaning up my language. Oh, really? Well, I will have to make mine twice as bad then. Okay, okay. So what you're saying is mine's typically equally bad as yours, so now I think no. you just went further negative there. No, see, my mom will actually say shit or every now and then. I mean, you say, and you say. and your oh, fuzzy knuckles and whatever the fuck it is you say. <laughs> hey, I, I say the word S-H-I-T oh, quite a bit. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I, spell, I only use it when it's necessary, okay? I spell it when I want you to know what I'm talking about. Well, I sound like a... <laughs> freaking little girl maybe i am one. i am, I, I, am. I, i've often thought that well excellent 
Yeah, this is the most, this has to be the least interesting conversation we've ever had from a listener point well, of view. I think. And, and you know what? I was going to say, depends on who you ask, because I'm enjoying it. And yeah, uh, we got a little too introspective there, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's what it is. They want to see the, right, the, the, the pod, podcast rock stars that we are. We should get into that. Yeah, I'm, I'm wearing, as right now, I'm wearing a spandex jumpsuit and have <laughs> Wearing a wig since I shaved off all my hair. I've got a big puffy wig. This one wig. goes to 11. Yes, it oh, does. You... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, speaking of British accents or English accents, um, Allison, you know what You know what Allison told me? That what happens when I do a British accent? What's that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel embarrassed, but it's hilarious at the same time. She said that that uh, the second I do it, uh, hold on, I'm going to say this in an English accent. The second you go into a British accent, my vagina dries up and gets all dusty like the dust bowl. <laughs> so that was for you. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh my God. You, I, you, you sound like, was it like when Monty Python, you know, they do the, <laughs> the pepper pots. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, that was well. awesome. <laughs> well, why, thank you. Oh, we have a spam, 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 and spam. <laughs> oh, you know what, dude? You know what we should do right now? We have, we, we got an MP3 from Johnny T and the boys. Speaking of, of uh, British accents. Hello, cadaver love. Yeah, cadaver love. It's Johnny King of Bollocks here. Mm. And what's your name? Bollocks. I've forgotten that. Oh, the John. sun's gone down already. Johnny. I was like, and you was like, and he was like, and he was, was like, and I was like, who's 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 like, like, no, anyway, yeah, let's start that again, because that's going to shit, shit, I'm going to go bollock like, what's your name, oh my god, here we like, here we like, here we like, what the fuck is that, no, no, it was meant to be American, wasn't it, yeah, I was being American, oh, I see, that's how the Americans talk, yeah, no, we're keeping this, this is going, really, yeah, I say those American talk like oh, they do. They, they, they sit like, like they sit like, like as, as, as know, a simile like, like. For, for everything they do. They don't walk down the streets. I was like walking down yes, the streets. So I wasn't walking down the streets. I was doing something similar. Mm. They, they've just they <laughs> just pathetic, <laughs> can't they? The Americans. Anyway, Cadaver Lab. Hello. And thank they you. also. They what? also say, I could care less. You could care less. I, I could care say. less. That's what they say. To mean, I couldn't care less. Could you oh, care less? Like, home, right? The bears lost the football so game. Confusing. I could care less. You're giving us English shit. Stupid, isn't they? Oh, you God. think we sound like Australians? We don't sound like fucking Australians, do we? You oh. do. You do. You're a bit Australian. You've got a cock in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, from all of us, thank you very, very much for helping us with he the show. He doesn't mean that. I do. He's not recording it yet. He is. It's recording. Oh. Recording. He doesn't mean it. You see, we're new to this. We're on episode 1.5.7. Okay. So we're kind of new, but anyway. Is that like a quantum puzzle or something? Yeah. All right. Good fucking quantum. Like, like Stephen like Hawkins. He's Carol is Vorderman. Like, yeah. But anyway, from all of us, thank you very much, yeah? Yeah, yeah, what are you yeah, looking at me for? You, yeah. Because you're going quiet. <laughs> <laughs> for the first time ever. ever. So yes, from us in England, Fuck not you. Australia, <laughs> start talking proper, not like Canadians. Proper like what we do. Proper like what we do, innit? Mm. Yeah? 
And um, thank you very, very much. Yes, everything thank you. you it's know, lovely thank you that you do that. Yes, you listen to us. And we're well, thanking you. everybody. Because they're great. I think it's awful. I don't care at all, really. No, we do love you. to me. And we're out of here and speak to you soon. Johnny T. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm going to go give me mad. Dude. Yeah. That that's how that's how the British speak. English people speak. What all at once? I, uh, well, yeah, I, I'm shocked. That's the same language that, that we're both speaking. That, that we're like both speaking English. Like, well, I think it was very similar to speaking English. It was almost like speaking English, only not <laughs> like speaking English. Well, well, you know, it's funny as I learned something. I, or, by the way, that was th- thanks for the. For the MP3, I don't. I I, I understood a couple of uh, words in there, uh, but <laughs> other than that, I don't really see. At least with our British accents, English accents, you can understand what we're saying, right? Of course, it makes vaginas dry up, but still, <laughs> you know what we're saying, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, I have a general idea of what you're saying, and oh, <laughs> no, I I can, all right. It's, it, here's the thing, and. First off, oh, I don't okay. know why they're. I don't know why the fuck they're calling and thanking us. What the fuck did we do? Uh, that you know, that's a good question. You know what? I, I, I'm, I get used to this. I mean, being, you know, it, it's well, it's well, we, it's like your thing where you introduce yourself and apologize immediately for whatever you're going about to do. About to do exactly. You, we, you yeah, also we were talking get thanked that. at random. Apparently, I, I do. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, just just so people know, we're talking about. I, I like when I meet somebody new, I like to, uh, the first thing I say is, hi, how are you? It's great to meet you. I just want to apologize for the, um, the because con- uh, you're going to experience me being a control freak at one point in time in our relationship. I want to apologize now, uh, yeah. uh, apparently. That was actually the first email I ever got from you. Well, well, it's it's everybody's email. That's just, I just kind of put that it's in. Like it's a, my, uh, like a form letter you send out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, it, your your little signature at the bottom of your email. Oh, sorry again. So I I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize for being me. All right. But yeah, that, that's fucking cool of uh, Johnny T and the rest of those fucking limeys to send us a fucking and, MP3. And they just put out their second episode. Go to uh, uh, Johnny's Cult Films dot blogspot dot com, and uh, you'll get more of that. Except for I I mean. It's actually a little bit more coherent. The show is, yeah, a little not bit. by much, not by much, but uh, yeah, I, um, I enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> here's here's the thing. Now, I, I really okay. enjoy their show, but, mm-hmm. but who are the two bitches in the background? Oh, oh I'm sorry, we're talking UK. Who are the two right. birds in the background talking? Because it was like all through the freaking show, it was like somebody kick them out if they're not going to contribute. <laughs> oh man, that's harsh. <laughs> you know what it is. You know what it is. And and I think that we should do this, too. I mean, you know, you know where my know. wife is right now? She's asleep on the couch because that's where well, women oh, no, belong no, 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 during no. podcast time. <laughs> <laughs> well, have, mine are all she downstairs. Heard me, she will come uh, in here and kick my ass. Uh, of course. I was just going to say, all oh, my wives are downstairs doing, you know, doing little crafts to sell at the market tomorrow. Uh, you know. How's the basket weaving soft, coming? So it's good. In fact, it's basket weaving week. Oh, uh, I thought it might be. Oh man! Is, oh no! Is it no that okay, time so listen, of year again? Well, you—it's—it's it's a big fruit basket week, you know, in more way than one. Oh yeah, time of year, <laughs> month. All right. Well, you say what uh, you're going to say, and then we'll use that as a segue in a minute. 
Okay, well, okay. So all I was going to say is they actually have something figured out with those ladies in the background. I don't know. So every once in a while, you know, I, I watch some, some uh, you know, uh, shows, whatever, you know, news shows and, uh, you know, people, or people give their opinions, political stuff like that. But um, I think, you know, and they have those people laughing in the back just for like, you know, somebody will say something funny. And then from nowhere you'll hear. <laughs> yeah, like you know? the cameraman or the producer or somebody. <laughs> Well, who yeah. knows? I think they I think they hire somebody just to do that. I know Johnny Carson did it. His name was called Ed McMahon. Yeah. You know, but but we should do that, man. We should get that, somebody to just sit in the background and laugh at random. Well, not at random. We'll point to him. Oh, we'll okay. point to him when we think we said something funny and then they'll just <laughs> Oh. No, when we actually that, say something funny or when we think we've said something funny. Uh well, since the first never happens, it'll have to be the latter. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll like send out some feelers, get some resumes in, see if we can find somebody. That's uh, we, yeah, well, a cadaver, like a cadaver lab intern. Oh, oh my gosh, that'll be like awesome. I couldn't, I could care less about that. What? What did I just say? <laughs> I couldn't uh, care less. I really couldn't. Uh, right. Right. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, well, uh, welcome you... to the Cadaver Classics. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of fruit baskets and our good friend Johnny T, it's oh, time dear. now for Ball Talk. Spanning the globe to bring you the latest in testicular news, it's time for Ball Talk. All right, so our good friend Johnny T sent us this in. Uh, here's the headline. Surging cutoff testicle by mistake at Berry Hospital. What? Uh, yes. At, uh, wait, wait, what hospital? Bury. B-U-R-Y. Uh, okay. Um, I thought somewhere, it was like it's somewhere in fucking, or Somewhere in fucking England because, you know, apparently they just can't get their balls to fucking gather. Well, from what I hear is, is uh, people from England's balls are so small and withered it's hard to tell them apart from nothing. That's because they keep them. That's because they carry them around in their mouths, so they have that cool accent. Oh, I, I only I only said that because I got offended when when uh, they say we said like. I apologize. Wait, I already apologized to those guys the first time I talked to them. All right, we're yeah. good. Please move on. All right, uh, let's see. A patient lost a testicle during an operation because the surgeon cut it off by a mistake. A general medical council hearing has been told. Doctor Suleiman Al Burani was only supposed to cut out a cyst, but remove the whole right testicle instead. That's uh, a hell of a see. cyst. Yeah, this was in, uh, <laughs> I guess, Manchester in uh, 2007. Apparently, the nurse turned around to uh, get something, and uh, when she turned back around, the testicle had been removed. And it was in the doctor's mouth. His mouth, And he exactly. was trying to speak. Yes, and he was <laughs> like, like... How do you talk your way out of that, especially when a nut in your mouth... Well, and, and uh, I'm thinking Hurani seems like an Indian name, and uh, maybe he just, right. wanted to, he just wanted to fit in. Oh, I would take this testicle. And, and then you know, the nurse turns around, and, and he's like, oh, jolly good, jolly good. He just wants to be part of the, the, the culture there. Oh, yes. But you, you, all right, so first off, I mean, again, you, you have a couple possible scenarios here. You've got, okay, you can't tell a British testicle from a cyst because they're about the same size. Okay. Or you have this guy just maliciously stealing balls and 
apparently sticking them in his mouth. I mean, you know what I, I like mean because about that? because and you know the the nurse nurse turns around, and he's like, oh, she's not looking, cuts yeah. the guy's ball off and maybe sticks it in his mouth. I'm guessing, and you know she turns around, and he's like, oh, do do, oh, oh, you're back. Great. Well, let's continue this operation. It's like, well, his ball's gone. And <laughs> I mean, is it, and I know they can reverse like a vasectomy. So I'm wondering, could could they not like you know, fucking put it back in there and just sew? It? I'm wondering, you know, do you try to hide that, stick the ball back in, and just sew it up and pretend like nothing was wrong? I don't know about you. I would notice. You know, you think, I would I would notice if I was missing a ball. I mean, yeah, your I sperm count probably would drop. But, you know, well, I'm, uh, no, I'm I saying just stick it back in the scrotum and sew it up and nobody would ever know. Uh-oh, 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 I, I see. So that so there'd be a dead piece of flesh rotting in your ball sack. Well, I guess you could, like, lacquer it or something. <laughs> Bronze it. <laughs> it's a little bit heavier today. Yeah, that, well, that's where the term uh, brass balls comes from. Oh, ooh. Let's see. There you go. Yeah. That's another mystery solved. <laughs> yeah, see. <laughs> so we can thank the Brits for yet another fucking fascinating edition of Ball Talk. <laughs> Oh man! I'll tell you what. If nobody else enjoys this, I I I think this is one of the most enjoyable segments that we've ever done. I think so too. So if any of you out there have a testicular related news story that you'd like to share with us, uh, send it to classics at cadaverlab dot com. Yes. And if and if we like it, we'll put it on the air. <laughs> and we'll like we'll say your name on the air, and uh, you <laughs> we'll can say tell your all name your friends. <laughs> Yeah, they probably, I probably wouldn't do that. Yeah, who hmm. knows? Well, you can let us know if you want. By the way, speaking of the email address, classics at cadaverlab.com, guess what? This show growed up. It okay? did. It got its own site. It, it had, we have our own voicemail. And, uh, you know, this is legit, man. We're, yeah, and which really, legit. really, really kind of worries me because you've got this whole <laughs> fucking podcast mogul thing going on over there. Yeah, you've I got do. the cadaver lab, and then you've yes. got the hammockus thing. Well, then, to be honest well, with the well, hammockus you, got... is Brian's. Okay, I'm 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 the I'm I'm Ed on that show. Not that not that you know whatever. Anyway, but and then you've got I guess uh, another show. I guess you've got classic cadaver lab, which is not to be well, confused well, with cadaver classics. Now that Sam correct. is back, then yep. you've got this kind of spinoff of the replacement show, and. <laughs> And as a spinoff show, I'm kind of wondering whether this is going to be like the Laverne and Shirley or the Joni Loves Chachi of fucking podcasting because, you know, this could really go either way at this point. We might have a you know, beautiful, long, successful run or uh -huh. people may be sick of us within a week. You know so, what? You just made my day because you know who that makes me, don't you? Scott Bayo. The Fonz. Or Scott Bayo. Yeah, I think you're more like Scott Bayo. You'll be doing you know what? you'll be doing a reality I'm, show here in a couple of weeks. On I'm VH1. proud to be Scott Bayo. I'll tell you why because I want to I want to do a movie um, with Willie Ames. I've always wanted to do a movie with Willie Ames, and uh, you know I think he's some kind of a Christian uh, superhero guy now. But at least it'll be me and Willie. That's what we'll call it, Mike and Willie. 
Mike and Willie. All right, well, <laughs> anyway, the, the, okay. uh, I'm going to do a show with my own Willie. Yikes. Is uh is the other is, is your Willie as uh do you, do you think he, he, your mom would get mad at your Willie for using naughty language? Probably. You haven't heard my cock talk. It's it's, it's nasty. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like an <laughs> 80s love song. Haven't had my cock talk. <laughs> Yeah, I think Wasp did that. Wasn't that the flip side to uh, Blind yeah, maybe. in Texas? Maybe. Blind in Texas, man. That would be the A side to Blind in Texas. <laughs> anyway, okay. So the voicemail line for Cadaver Classics, and this is the one Stephen and I will be fielding, is uh, 206-350-3492. That again, 206-350-3492. Uh, email is classics at cadaverlab.com. Call me Scott Bale. It's, it's it? cadaverclassics.cadaverlab.com. Oh, so oh my god, you could have made it all the or same. Go, or go to cadaverlab.com. There's a giant link to Cadaver Classics on the left-hand side. All right, that fucking works. Yep. All right, Absolutely. so yeah, if you don't remember the number of the email address, just go to the website, cadaverlab.com. You will find us. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, you'll, and, and that's what we're all looking for. Dudes who talk about balls, the fawns, and uh, the whatever fonts. else. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, what do you say we talk about some movies tonight? Let's do. We're actually going to be talking about a series of films uh, loosely based off a book that was written by Marie Belloc Loudens called The Lodger. And, 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 and here, here's how I'm seeing this going. Tell me, tell me if, you, uh, if, if this is all right with you. I figure let you know let's let's talk about the 1944 film as our main because I mean honestly in, in, in let's see there was a one uh, one from 1927 one uh, a remake of that one from 1932 uh, uh, a lodger from 1944 there was a remake of that called the man in the attic from 1953 and there was actually a remake in 2009 and what I mean I don't feel like we should go over the the, the storyline to every one of those but so what do you say we do we talk about the uh the storyline from the 1944 version and then uh just kind of move along from there compare and contrast and do all that fun stuff okay well that's the exact opposite of the way i had planned to do it but oh okay well no well, i'm just i'm just i'm just kidding, uh, okay <laughs> no um i mean you're essentially talking about a very solid story it was a very popular novel in 1913 and then, of course, uh, Alfred Hitchcock got hold of it in 27 mm -hmm. and made a brilliant fucking movie. Uh, and do want to spend some time talking about uh, Hitchcock's contribution. And then, uh, I mean, yeah, the 1944 is considered the definitive version of the story. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we can just uh, talk about the strengths and weaknesses of some of the other versions. Okay. Works well, let's just do me a favor. Why don't you go over the, the main story of 1944 uh, you know, to give everybody an idea of what the story of, of the Lodger's about, and then mm -hmm. let's then let's go through each of them individually and just talk about the strengths and weaknesses, the differences, things like that. Would you like to give us a rundown of the story? Yeah, and uh, well, real quick before I get started on that, just want to okay. let everybody know that the 1927, basically every version of this except for the 2009, I believe you can find online for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, archive.org has the uh, 1932 and 1927 oh, versions. Uh, the 1944 version, I think, is on. Uh, is it on Yeo? But uh, and I even stumbled across the the 1953 version. So if you just go to Google Video, 
and search and uh, just kind of like take out everything that's you know, sorted by duration, you will mm-hmm. find uh, all four versions of this movie except for the you know the 2009 version. So it's it's all there. If you want to check it out in, before you get started listening to this, in case there's some spoilers or some shit, because every version of the story there are slight differences. So mm-hmm. just uh just FYI, you can check it out online for free. So and um, the more you know. Dun, dun, okay. dun, dun. <laughs> all right. So the Lodger 1944. Uh, the story is very very simple. Jack the Ripper or some variation thereof is running around uh, 1880s London. A older couple rents a room out to a mysterious stranger who may or may not be Jack the Ripper. And mm-hmm. then you have this love triangle forming between uh, the niece of the elderly couple, the police inspector who is investigating the case, and the lodger himself. So that's basically all there is. There's your framework for the five mm-hmm. different versions of the story. Absolutely. Uh, uh, what you're going to end up with, though, is some slight variations throughout. Each time the story is told, it's told a little bit differently. Uh, the different restrictions placed on, uh, like, for instance, in the 1944 version, uh, they have they don't use prostitutes as the victims. They use actresses because right. uh, the Hays Code forbid the use of you know, showing prostitution. Mm-hmm. The really stunning thing about uh, the 1944 version, uh, you got a really solid cast. You got Meryl Oberon uh, playing Kitty Langley, a beautiful woman. Uh, mm-hmm. George Sanders, he would start. He would have a small role in the 1932 version. Uh, he was uncredited as uh, Inspector Warwick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he this time out, he's playing a uh, pretty much a major role in it. He's one of the three involved in the love triangle. And the great Laird Krager, uh, playing Mr. Slade, the mysterious lodger who may or may not be Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. So that's that's your main cast. And uh, from there, it just all kind of plays out. Uh, mm-hmm. you, it's well, a it, cat, it, cat and mouse game between the killer and the uh, inspector, as well as a love triangle. Makes for a really kind of interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. and. Laird Krager, one of the interesting things about him, he, uh, this movie was so successful that they actually paired uh, George Sanders and uh, Laird Krager up again in another mystery movie, Hangover Square, I believe, was the name of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, Laird Krager, he was known as a Hollywood heavy for a while, uh, big imposing guy, around 300 pounds, and decided mm-hmm. that he wanted to change his image uh, went on a crash diet, lost 100 pounds, and ended up dying of, I believe, a heart attack. Uh-huh. So uh, pretty sad. And he, I mean, because he was he, really young at the time. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he was in his In this 30s, movie, he was like 28 or something like that. So, I mean, this was fairly soon, and it was fairly soon after when, yeah, when was, he actually died. Yeah, it might have been two years later when he actually died. So it was early 30s. Mm-hmm. When the Another interesting little tidbit about Laird Krager, uh, Vincent Price actually gave the eulogy at his funeral. Mm-hmm. And if you watch Laird Krager in this role, he really does seem like a 300-pound Vincent Price. He is very – there's something about this character that it, he's menacing at the same time, very quirky. Uh, it's very disturbing to watch him on screen. Well, the thing is, is in 
in all of these movies, there are, you know, there are different uh, mannerisms and different ways that these guys play the lodger. Um, this guy, though, Krieger, was he was big, he was imposing, you know, and yet when he spoke, he was very soft-spoken, and, he, and you could tell that he, I mean, he was, he almost uh, had some kind of a vulnerability to him, you know, so it, yeah. it was kind of, it was kind of weird to see that, uh, you know, when you've got this big, giant guy, you know, and I mean, you know, not that he wasn't a strong, you know, willed person or character, it's just that he, it, it was obvious that he was playing a person who, you know, wasn't really that interested in, in human contact and getting to know people or anything like that. I think he did a great job. And I mean, and that's not, that's not even mentioning the fact that, uh, that, um, I mean, he, here he is this, uh, this, this mysterious person. And he played that with, you know, the, the his facial expressions with the way he kind of, uh, skulked around a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was, it was one of those characters that's kind of hard to put your finger on because if you've seen previous versions of it and because what, what happens in different versions of this movie, the innocence or guilt of the lodger, either, either he's innocent. Sometimes he's guilty. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's left ambiguous. Right. And, and so seeing this character, he, he really does a good job. It's kind of like you're watching him and he's, imposing but at the same time he's very odd he has these mm-hmm. very unique uh eccentric he's very eccentric <laughs> and and of course all of his actions throughout the movie are kind of very suspicious but they're mm-hmm. always explained away mm-hmm. there's always a logical explanation for his actions and it's really up to the woman of the house, uh, Sarah, or Sarah Allgood, playing uh, Ellen Bonting, as the owner of the house where the lodger is staying. She's really the one that kind of cracks the case. Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas the, the no, George Sanders is another fucking brilliant actor. Uh, I wasn't as thrilled with him in this. I mean, this is a guy that's been around forever. Uh, like I said, his first role was playing in the original or the second version of the Lodger. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went on to play the Saint. He was the voice of Sri Khan in uh, the Jungle Book. He was Mister Freeze oh, really? on Batman in the sixties, and the mm-hmm. guy did fucking everything before he uh, committed suicide. At now, the age and, the, of and this is the Inspector, right? Is that right? Inspector George this... Sanders. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Inspector uh, John Warwick. I John Warwick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. I don't know. His performance in this was very wooden and stoic. And it kind of, it was kind of, and there were some scenes that really made me uneasy with him. Like when he's giving the tour of uh, Scotland Yard, Mm -hmm. Uh, he's giving uh, Kitty a tour of all the like nooses of uh, famous criminals they've hung and murder weapons and stuff. And there's one scene where he like picks up this, uh, was it a poker or something? And and he keeps asking her out, and she keeps changing the subject until finally she says, "Well, what was this for?" And you, know, why did he kill? Use this on uh, his wife? He said, "Probably because she wouldn't answer a simple fucking question." You know, it's like, <laughs> it was it was it was so odd coming from a guy who was so you know uptight and uh, very very British. Well, you know, he, very he just... cis like balls. <laughs> 
Well, to be honest with you, I kind of thought that, that may have been deliberate because I think that um, that they really wanted the lodger, especially in this one, to be a, a very sympathetic character. You know, and, and, and like you were saying, I mean, yeah, there are things that point to his guilt, but every single one of them, as we're going through, uh, you know, gets gets explained away, basically. And so here we have this here we have this guy at the other end of the love triangle, you know. And when I was watching this, I was kind of uh, rooting for uh, the lodger to or what was his name, Slade, to mm-hmm. get the to get the girl, you know, for that to work out and whatever. And then you have this pesky cop who's kind of a douchebag, you know. And I don't, I didn't really, you know. And you, I mean, that was that was a that line you were saying was like the point where I was like, oh, what a dick. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, exactly. <laughs> you know, so it, so it wasn't it, just it, me. No, oh, no, 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 that, that actually made a big impression on me. It was like, uh, to that point, I was even almost like uh, um, still trying to, to figure it out, who, you know, in my mind. But at that point, I was just like, oh, screw this guy, <laughs> you know. But, you know, it, it, one of the things that I think was the, the darkness, that, the main thing in this movie is that, it, it, I mean, and in, in, in this happens throughout the, some of the other versions as well, is... Um, you can tell that Slade has an issue with women, you know, and yeah. obviously that's that that's in play because of Jack the Ripper, who you know killed these women, uh, you know, and and I'm not sure exactly how uh, close to you know real history that you know that these deaths were and things like that, but I mean they were all women, and uh, it was in throughout. The more we get to learn about Slade, the more we find out that that uh, you know he he despises women. Uh, one one instance, he brings out a picture of his brother, and is just like, "This is look at this. This is beauty." And it ends up it turns out that uh, a loose woman, you know, destroyed him. Basically, well, you know, yeah, he yeah he has a definite hatred of actresses in particular. Exactly, and yeah. and as soon as he moves into the room, he has the uh, landlord. Uh, move all the pictures of the actresses. He, well, first he right. turns them around to face the wall, right. and so that because he says that their eyes are following them, and mm-hmm. you find out that you know the, these actresses are being killed, and uh, his brother, his heart, you know, was essentially broken by an actress, right. and that's why you know he does. But at the same time, he's falling for Kitty, who herself is an actress. And it's and it's funny because there's one point where they're both speaking in Kitty's room, and he he says something to the effect of, you know, you're you're so beautiful, but I'm sure a lot of people tell you that. She's like, I don't think I'm beautiful, and then he starts going into the the thing where you know beauty for to for to for yourself is fine, but to be beautiful and flaunted on the stage, you know, that's evil. You know, there's something yeah. wrong with that. And, and then we have the whole, can you love something that's good and evil at the same time? And you know, we'll kill the evil. You know, whatever. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you. I watched all these in in rapid succession, so mm-hmm. I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not doing too much uh, mixing and matching in, in my no. head. You know, no, and and pretty much. I mean, when we talk about the you know, these movies, the forty four and fifty three version, nearly identical. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's very much a direct remake. Whereas most of the differences occur in the previous versions the 27 mm-hmm. version uh the 32 version is different from the 27 version the 44 version is very different from the other two and then uh 
53 is almost a shot for shot remake right but um and did you happen to watch the 2009 version as well yes i did okay and that one was that one was i mean they they took the basis of that one and completely kind of uh you know went a whole different direction with that yeah and yeah we'll, we'll get to that but uh yeah, I thought I thought it was an interesting take considering, you know, the you know, the four previous versions there was, you know, all this back and forth about uh the lodger's guilt or innocence and, right. and they mm-hmm. they did come up with an original twist on it. I will say that whether mm-hmm. or not I you know, completely bought into it, that's another thing. Right. No, I was just going to say I'm talking about The Man in the Attic in 1953. Uh I mean, first of all, it's I mean, I don't know if it's a scene-for-scene remake exactly. However, I mean, besides Jack Palance playing Slade, which is which he did, uh, I mean, he did a good job at it. I, I really, actually, really liked him in this. But um, I mean, all the other characters in it. I mean, they weren't they weren't they weren't the same exactly. But since I mean, Palance and in Krieger were the were the were the main difference between the two for me. If you look at the Krieger version. He is a very, I don't know, he, he unsettled me the entire time he was on the screen. Well, because he just he's, seems he's uncomfortable just... in his own skin, and I think that that comes across to us watching this show, or the movie, and, you know, it, it kind of exudes that, oh, you should feel uncomfortable as well, because I felt the same way. Yeah, and whereas the 53 version, Jack Palance, he came, he kind of reminded me of Norman Bates. Not uh-huh. really, you know, this kind of shy awkwardness, which was m- maybe even more, generated even more sympathy than mm-hmm. did, uh, but there are certainly scenes where he is very uh, unsettling, especially like, like the big confrontation in the dressing room towards the end, right. where he becomes, comes across as very menacing. And they, they do another thing that's interesting. The scene, the tour of Scotland Yard with the uh, inspector, mm-hmm. he actually, Jack Palance is along with the other two. Right. Mm-hmm. And which creates a completely different dynamic. And right. it, 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 I thought it was an amazing scene. And you know, Jack Palance is one of those guys, first off, he's not afraid to do horror. You know, he's played Dracula. Uh-huh. He's done right. uh, Jekyll and Hyde. He's and, done Curly's Gold? Yes. That's, which was okay, the scariest just, of yeah, them exactly. all, probably. <laughs> yeah, and you gotta you gotta figure that you know his Oscar for City Slickers was for everything else he had done over the years. <laughs> because uh, well, I know you know you haven't seen the movie Shame. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's because it's western, but hey, that's not so true anymore. We'll get back to that later. We'll get, we, yeah, we'll we'll get into that. But the one of the things with Shane is, you know, he's a retired gunfighter. He's reluctant to pick up his guns again. And they bring in Jack Palance as just the embodiment of pure fucking evil to try and draw mm. uh, Shane back out, in, out of retirement to fucking fight. Mm-hmm. And he is just the most menacing fucking thing you've ever seen on screen. Really? I mean, I mean it's just amazing to watch. Because when, I mean, when he comes into town, there's no doubt he's the most evil motherfucker in the West. <laughs> and so, so you see little hints of that in, you know, scenes in the lodger, but, mm-hmm. uh, but for the most part, he, he plays this very shy, awkward, and it was really fucking interesting to see him in that kind of role where he's normally, you know, kind of seen as such a tough guy, 
you mm-hmm. know, badass. Uh, you know, seem, I would describe kind of his... vulnerable and sympathetic was really uh-huh. fucking nice to see, and he pulled it off amazingly. I, you know, I honestly think he did a great job. It, it's, it's, I think the main difference between him and Krieger is, whereas I thought the Palance did a great job, and I actually really enjoyed it. But having just watched the forty-four version, it seemed like Palance was a little more unstable. Where you know he would he would jump up to be really intense a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then he would come down. Whereas uh, Krieger was just kind of the the same level the whole time. He was, you know, I mean, he did get a little bit. Uh, obviously, towards the end and the climax of the movie, he you know he got pretty intense. But uh, as as for dealing with people, he he kind of had that even keel and. Even when he was explaining to Kitty in the, you know, in in the dressing room when they were having that one on one, you know, he still had that kind of creepy, somber tone to him. Whereas Palance would kind of get up, he'd be, he'd get up and down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's a matter of taste which you prefer mm-hmm. when it comes to like two great performers doing an amazing job in a role, but you know, their own take on it. Right. And, you know, certainly Krager is very, you know, the way he fucking does his lines and, you know, he's talking about you know, evil and beauty and right. he's very poetic and introspective about it mm-hmm. uh, versus, uh, you know, Palance who, you know, seems to be almost like bipolar in his, you know, take right. on the role. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's two very interesting takes on the same character. And both of them, I thought, were very effective. I I completely agree with you in fact it's difficult me for me to choose which one would be my favorite i love i mean i just i love both of the uh, both of the guys who played slade however there's one thing about the 53 version that i thought was head and shoulders above the one the character in 1944s was uh oh, what's his name uh the uh darn it the the character of the 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 lodge the, the landlord the husband mm-hmm. where uh, and i can't i'm trying to look at his name here Reese Williams, who played William Harley, who's the bunt, who's the bunting uh, character from the 1944. That guy was that guy actually added some humor, you know, into it, especially in the beginning. And Aunt B was actually the, the the woman in the 1953 version. Yeah, I think that bears mentioning the 53 version. She's running around going, "Andy, we'll have to stop the Ripper from." <laughs> well, and it's so funny because. Uh, at one point, uh, William Harley is, is is reading the paper and talking out loud to his dog, you know, who what, that I guess is some kind, <laughs> you know, some kind of thing that he does. And Aunt B comes in and starts and starts answering his question. And the guy's like, first of all, I was, I was talking speaking to... to the dog." <laughs> yeah, which was oh my gosh, that was great. And he he, he had a, two or three of those. And uh, I think that that his that that character in this one was was uh, much more entertaining than than uh, the one in the 1944 version. I mean, that's not to slight whoever, you know, the guy who played it in the 1944 version. I think this guy just did a great job. Yeah, he is, he is very dismissive of Aunt B. And, uh-huh. and of course, you know, like we've said, the, the woman in the landlady in this case, mm-hmm. uh, both the, in the 30, or 44 and 53 versions, you know, they're the ones that actually are on top of shit. Right, and it's always and the man is you know the landlord is always the dismissive ones. Oh, you just a hysterical woman, you know, get over right. it. You know, and, I thought it was funny because through all of these, all of the husbands just were kind of so dis. I mean, in, in we're I mean we're talking across the board the ones we watched twenty seven, forty four, fifty three, and two thousand nine. 
the husbands were just so dismissive of uh, their wives. In the 2009 version, it was because that uh, we're potentially the, the wife has mental issues. But I think the rest of them, you know, they, they're so old school that I, it kind of seems like these wives were just there to serve almost, you know, and not mm-hmm. to be taken seriously. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's just, you know, another dynamic that, you know, the scripts for these two add, where mm-hmm. I guess the one script, because, I mean, even a lot of the dialogue is the same. There's a slight alteration, I think. Uh, I think in the 53 version, isn't his, his mother the actress? Yes, in the and, in the picture that he pulls out, where in the 44 he pulls out his picture of his brother, he pulls out a picture of his mother. Mm-hmm. Who, yeah, so who there was, was a slight variation I guess, there. Yeah, well, she cheated on her. His I can't remember exactly what happened, but she she was disloyal and then ended up becoming. And, and he said that he ended up becoming a hooker, you know, in in probably a much more classy Jack Balance way. But um, but anyway, um, let's say we go back and talk a little bit about the uh, the lodger from 1927. Uh, the, it was called the lodger or or no no uh, colon a story of London fog. Um, now. Just to just to satiate a question I have, I I uh, I don't really know what London fog. I mean, what what the significance of that is? Do you can you tell me that? You know. Um, I guess it's foggy in London. Okay, well, because that's all I didn't know if, <laughs> if there was something if there was some Jack the Ripper, um, Jack the Ripper something or other that that was very significant about because the London fog. You know, the story of London Fog, that seems very creepy and, you know, and uh, significant, but, you know, I don't know. No, and even visually, I mean, yeah, Fog play, I mean, there is Fog in all these movies. Oh, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. and you, I mean, we're talking Victorian London. Well, actually, that's what's odd about this one. We're not talking Victorian London in this first mm-hmm. version. Uh, we're, we're talking we're actually, a contemporary in, version. It would have been, would have been from 1927. <laughs> right. Wow. I don't even know where to start with this one. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got Ivor Novello as the lodger. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Daisy? What the fuck? I don't even think. What did they even give the actress and actress's name in that? It said uh, it, all. It said in IMDb was June. Really? Yeah. I think so I, yeah, that's all I have. Uh, uh, you do have Malcolm Keane as the police detective. Um, I do. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> His name's Joe. Just for the record, Joe, Joe, the, Joe a the cop detective. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, um, and this is Alfred Hitchcock's third mm-hmm. movie, which uh, was really what makes this significant because uh, Ivor Novello was a great silent actor, but what mm-hmm. really, it... really fucking elevates this movie is Hitchcock's direction. Mm-hmm. Now, well, the, the first thing to me, before, I mean. Regardless of, of his work on this, or is, is uh, you said this was his third movie, it is unreal to me that uh, how much evolution happened during his t- his uh, career. I mean, this is the guy who did Psycho for hell's sake, you know, in 1960. That to span that much time and to be so good at it for you know all of those years is unreal to me. You know, and I I honestly I picked up a. a I can't remember if it was a uh, 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 public domain, but it was this box set about. Uh, it's actually, I actually, it's funny. I actually, for for Christmas, I picked up a Alfred Hitchcock box set 
from my dad. Of course, mm-hmm. I took all the CD or the DVDs and burned them first, <laughs> and then and, and then I gave him that. So you know, whatever. But still, that's uh, that's a side note. But no, I mean it, it's un. I mean, I had no idea that the just the number of, of films that he has directed, and just, I mean, yeah, they're all black and white. This one's silent, you know. But it's un. It's just the the difference in style. Or, or sorry, the difference of technology, and yet there's that similarity of style. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It was, it's unreal. Yeah, I mean, this, it's all great. Everything I've seen is awesome. Yeah, and this is one of those things where you really see Hitchcock coming into his own. I've, I've mm-hmm. never seen the first two movies, and but this, I mean, this is considered the first quote unquote Hitchcock movie because mm-hmm. you have all. First off, it's a suspense movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Secondly, you'll see the same themes show up over and over again throughout Hitchcock's career. Uh, you notice, if, I don't know if you paid attention, how much of the movie was framed around that staircase. Oh, okay. And uh, you'll see the same thing. I mean, like you mentioned Psycho. You know, how mm-hmm. significant is the staircase in Psycho? Right. And, and this is something that, I mean, it's used as a, uh, like to frame shots as well as you know, to stage action on. And mm-hmm. to position characters, and that you know that comes from his time in Germany, working on you, know, uh, learning from the German expressionists. Uh, you see, you have the idea of an innocent man thrust into a situation that's beyond his control, uh, which will show up time and time again. The man who knew too much. The, as a matter of mm-hmm. fact, one of the movies, his movies, the wrong man, uh, North by Northwest. You know, it just goes on and on. You know, this mm-hmm. idea that this guy. Be- through no fault of his own, gets stuck in a situation where he has to deal with extraordinary circumstances. Uh, you have the first cameo by Hitchcock, which was a matter of necessity, uh, where the extras didn't show up, so he had to did his first walk on, and he would show up in every single movie after that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, what did he play that, in this? I didn't even notice. Uh, is I think in I think he was just like one of the guys uh, in the office towards the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then there's another scene towards the end where he's actually in it. Uh, I didn't recognize him because he was like so much younger than the Hitchcock we know and you know remember from you know all the other movies. Right, you know, but you know what? It's 60s. funny because I watched a there on the 1944 disc. There's a there's a making of the lodger uh, type of thing, and it shows some of the history of it. But, and there are some pictures of him while he was directing this movie, and he practically looks the same. He's this tubby short guy. You know, except for he had hair and it was dark. But other than that, I, I'm surprised I didn't recognize him. I'm kind of bummed. I might have to watch it again. Yeah, he, he's definitely there. And I don't know, I'll have, have to look it up which scene exactly. But it, it's one of the office scenes. I know he's in that. You got, first off, you've got all this kind of inventive camera visual stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, there's one scene where, you know, everyone's downstairs and you can hear the lodger. You see the chandelier swing. Right. Where the lodger is upstairs pacing. A murder has just happened. And he's upstairs mm-hmm. pacing and they use he used like this glass floor. Right. With the mm-hmm. camera underneath it so that you can see what's going on upstairs while the you know, at the same time seeing the chandelier waving. Mm-hmm. Uh another scene that's really interesting, he Hitchcock himself said he was disappointed with it, was there's a scene where you see a uh, police like one of those paddy wagons. And it actually looks like the windows in the back look like eyes. Really? And then you've got these two policemen sitting inside and kind of like <laughs> swaying back and forth like you know, the, the uh, 
irises. Oh, okay. So, and, I mean, looking at a still shot of it, it's really fucking amazing <laughs> that, you know, he had all these fucking ideas going on visually to, you know, throw up on screen say, look, you know, if, if you're paying enough attention, you'll catch these things. Right. Like, you know, and, you know, yeah, it's just the, the symbol, the symbolism of, you know, the cops were watching the streets, but it was done in a very visual way that was just so fucking inventive, especially when you're talking 1926. And you'll even see in a couple shots, the camera actually moves, which was very fucking rare, hmm. you know, uh, for them to pan the camera around because, you know, they're so fucking heavy and cumbersome and it was just a pain in the right. ass. You know, just about everything is going to be a static shot in these early movies. But, you know, you've got some amazing fucking camera work going on. And this, the amazing thing about this is this movie almost did, got shelved forever. Really? Yeah. Uh, what happened was uh, Hitchcock worked under a director by the name of Graham Cutts, I believe was his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cutts was extremely jealous of Hitchcock. Uh, Hitchcock, you know, here he is on his third movie, and, I mean, when this does finally come out, uh, one critic claimed it was the greatest uh, British film ever made. Really? So, you know, I mean, of course, we're only 1926, but still, that's pretty fucking high praise. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went around telling the distributor that, you know, this movie is incomprehensible, it's fucking horrible, you 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 don't want to touch this piece of shit. So the distributor actually shelved this yeah, shelved this movie and <laughs> Hitchcock's two other movies. And uh, when I guess somebody else stepped in and said, look, you know, this actually is a good movie. And I'll, really? set, I'll set up a fucking screening for it. But in order to make people happy, uh, they ended up bringing in another guy, another guy named Ivor, which I didn't realize that was such a popular name. You got two guys named <laughs> Ivor on this movie. Ivor Montague. <laughs> came in, made some suggestions, cut the title cards down from 300 title cards down to about 80. Uh, they reshot the ending. Yeah, I think Dude. one other scene. And, you know, Hitchcock, you know, went along with it, you know, because he's looking at his career in the long run. Either right. his, his, his career, either he plays ball or his career ends right now. Right. So he allowed the changes to be made and, you know, actually went in and did the reshoots. And uh, they got it released to, to huge success, huge critical acclaim. And, yeah, we're talking about a movie that's been remade four times since then. Right. Uh, so, you know, obviously it was a gamble that paid off for him. You know, it's unreal that you were talking about those title cards because I was going to ask you, as I was watching this, it seemed like the title cards were, were few and far between. Um, and I, I didn't know if that was just be, for, I mean, compared to, you know, Nos, after watching Nosferatu, uh, Doctor of Caligari, and all that, and all those, uh, you know, early or the other silent films, I, I, it just seemed like, and I, and I thought it was, it was due to the fact that that uh, the, they were being overexpressive. They were being very expressive in their mannerisms. Um, but you're telling me it's just because of uh, studio interference, basically. Well, essentially, but, you know, Hitchcock, I mean, he even came out and admitted, said that the changes were for the better. And oh, the, 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 fact of the, the fact of the matter is, Hitchcock is such a strong visual storyteller. He didn't right. need the title cards. They were pretty much redundant. Uh, you know, he, and, I, and I, can, I think there were only a couple of specific um, 
title cards and I can't, I didn't write it down or anything, but there's only two or three throughout the whole thing where you actually maybe needed them to know what was going on in the movie, you know, and uh, this, even though this was the first one I watched, first one of the, the, the larger um, movies that I watched, so I mean, I wasn't already familiar with the story. I mean, I knew it was about, uh, except for this one wasn't even about Jack the Ripper, it was about a killer called the Avenger who was taking his business in contemporary 1927. But uh, no, I mean that it that makes a lot of sense. The, these guys were really expressive. You could read their lips, even, um, you know. But you, it, it, you didn't even really have to. They were doing such a good job portraying what was going on. Yeah, and you've really got to kind of hand it to Ivor Novello. He was um, one of these matinee idols, like Valentino, back in the day. Uh huh. Really. And so, and that that was one of the big things that the studio and Hitchcock fought over was there. Hitchcock wanted it to be entirely ambiguous whether or not this was the killer. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the studio was adamant that, you know, this is our big star. We do not want to tarnish his on-screen image by really? having him be, be a killer. So, mm-hmm. which is why we ended up with the ending we did. Right. And like I said, he, the original ending that Hitchcock had, uh, there, there was still a little bit of ambiguity. He tried to sneak in. But in in the end, uh, you know, when when they went back and did the reshoot, they made it perfectly clear. And Hitchcock right. Hitchcock said, you know, you might as well, you know, as as having Ivor Novello as the main actor, you might as had, well had a neon sign that said he's innocent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, is his portrayal of the lodger. He was, um, uh, I mean, he, he he the the relationship between him and i think it was actually the 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 landlord's daughter uh was actually more fleshed out a little bit i mean they 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 spent time together they played chess together they you know not just these really deep conversations uh like you know in the 44 and 53 versions but were you know and you caught this guy smiling quite a bit like smiling not out of hi i'm in public i want to put off this you know this uh this feeling that people can trust me like jack palance did with his smiles you know, I'm talking about he actually seemed to be enjoying himself, which was something that we didn't see in the other ones. Yeah, and uh, there, there's a couple scenes in there, and you can see Hitchcock trying to play with the idea. Like, for mm-hmm. instance, the scene where they're playing chess and she knocks the pieces over. Right. And and this is another Hitchcock you know, trademark where you just see the hand reaching for the poker. And you, and right. you think for a second, oh, is he going to knock the piss out of her with it? And then no, right. he just pokes a you know. Then it cuts to the wide shot, and you see him poking the fire with it. And you know, I was like, "Ah, cheater!" Yeah, and then, oh, you almost got me there. Yeah, and they did the same thing with the, uh, the you know, him walking up the steps, the close up of his feet. You know, again, this right. was another another trademark of Hitchcock's, you know, to show you a show you a tight close up of something going on before mm-hmm. you see the context that's actually going in. So right. it does kind of play with your perception of what's going on mm-hmm. and um i guess the big thing we've got to talk about here is uh the fucking bathtub scene i mean did you not uh, wow. fucking think psycho like right off the bat i did you know and that's in uh well the, the first thing i thought is wow you know this i mean i might get to see some booby of course <laughs> that, that's always my first my first uh but no i thought the i thought that exact same thing i go oh here's the here's the original psycho bathtub scene but I mean, I don't, it doesn't quite happen like that, but still. No, but it's certainly set up that way. You've got, you know, the, uh, as a matter of fact, I, 
a lot of the shots, you know, you've got the, uh, you know, the close up from about the, uh, you know, shoulder blades up. You've got the, uh, the, uh, the close up of the feet coming down the hall. You've got the close up Mm -hmm. of the hand on the door. You know, I mean, it really does a great job of fucking keeping you off balance. And, you know, it's, it's no fucking wonder. I mean, it's fucking Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, that's all there is to it. (laughs) And, you know, he shows, you know, here only his third movie, how fucking visually impressive. I mean, he understood his fucking craft better than anybody. Mm. He's, I think he, his movies have a total of uh, 50 Academy award nominations. Really? And, you know, uh, I think four of the top 10 movies of all time are his, (laughs) like, uh, as far as like, not, box office but like a afi rankings right. mm-hmm. so yeah i mean you know he's fucking hitchcock the greatest director ever as far Absolutely. as i'm concerned and <laughs> you know here we see even as a young man he had the fucking chops well in in uh, this was a, uh, I mean and, and i'll be honest with you i mean a lot of silent films i i feel like get a little bit um you know rough to watch uh, you know after after you know like after the first watch of it you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, this is one I could go back and watch a couple of times, uh, based on the, all the things that you've been mentioning. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there are a couple of, uh, of of differences between this one and the other one. I mean, in the first, I mean, the main one we mentioned uh, shortly that the killer was the Avenger, um, and also, I mean, this this one was, uh, I mean, just like you were saying as well. I mean, there was no doubt as to how it ended and and who did what and blah blah blah. You know. The, the one other thing that I thought was really neat, uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, I'm sorry. No, no problem. But, you know, so it kept flashing that, that sign, uh, was it tonight, yeah. Golden Curls. Golden Curls. Yep, yeah. the girls were models instead of uh, actresses. Right, and, and, yeah, and the killer was obsessed with killing blondes. And, that, and, right. that's, another, and that's another thing, you know, that's another big Hitchcock thing. Uh, oh yeah, it, yeah. Hitchcock, I mean, was famous for you know his use of blondes, you know Janet Lee and Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, Hitchcock really believed that blondes made better victims because the you know a certain amount of purity involved in you know <laughs> in that look, whereas mm-hmm. he felt brunettes looked suspicious, and so it wasn't a fetish thing; it was just the way he thought audiences viewed things. Right, and it certainly fucking worked out for him. But uh, did you happen to notice in the final scene in the background that that neon sign was, like, off in the distance? I did. Yeah, well, and I thought that was a, a, a fucking, I don't know, it was just another one of Hitchcock's little things, you saying, you know, okay, maybe I can squeeze this in. <laughs> that, right. Because that sign, you know, kind of showed up, and it, it was completely out of context. It was black screen with, you know, mm-hmm. just this, bright blinking sign that said tonight right. golden curls and you knew a murder was coming up and then in that very <laughs> last scene it, yeah and in that very last scene he has that in the background so it's ah. still kind of his his kind of way of saying okay maybe i've the shit ain't over yeah so so even even still he was trying trying to you know sneak one past the studio and their idea of you know <laughs> So I thought that was pretty fascinating. But you yeah, were saying, absolutely. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, dude. Oh, no, no, no. I, and I was just going to say that, uh, I mean, the differences between, you know, those three were, I mean, there were a few different ones. Um, but as we moved and talked about the 2009 version, um, I mean, this was this was very dissimilar 
from the from the other ones, except for uh, you know there there happen to be people who are who are uh, you know looking to get more money for one reason or another, you know renting their uh, you know a portion of their house or in this case uh, like a, a secondary. I don't know. What yeah, they have that. a little guest house out back. Yeah, and uh, I mean, but that plus, uh, I mean, and there, there's a, the husband and wife lodger. There, uh, you know, you get the same guy that's that's running these weird hours. You get, um, you know, this guy who doesn't like all the ladies looking at him with the pictures on the walls, things like that. But I mean, this actually adds a, a lot of different things, um, which was a little bit refreshing. I mean, after watching three in a row of practically the same story. Um, you know, for instance, uh, Alfred Molina, who played the um, uh, the inspector on this case, basically, I mean, there was no love triangle uh, between between the the landlady, him, and and then the uh, uh, or not the landlady. There was no daughter or niece at all, actually. Kind of thing. But basically, the what I'm trying to say is the skeleton for the story's there. But I don't know. It's it's really difficult to say that this was, you know, the, the same movie, uh, you know, The Lodger. But, they, I mean, it added a lot of stuff. It was a lot more contemporary. In fact, this just seemed to me that it was like kind of like a murder mystery, like your regular murder suspense mystery about a Jack the Ripper copycat, actually, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, someone renting a room. I don't know. Am I, am I off base? It didn't really seem like it fit in the canon quite as much. Well, there, there are certainly enough uh nods to the like the 44 version you know with no, the, uh, I, sure yeah the removal of the pictures you know you can't stand the pictures looking at him mm-hmm. um suspicion of the black bag or something yeah the black bag i for, yeah i forgot about that um you know the burning of the clothes so there are certain mm-hmm. plot elements that are you know show up in in uh the 44 53 in this one mm-hmm. uh and even like if you notice the uh 44, 53, and 2009, all three of them start with kind of an overview of the city. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. You've got the, like, uh, the 44 version brilliantly does this, you know, you've got the, where you've got the first murder being portrayed, and you've mm-hmm. got the camera moving around this, you know, following the cops, following the victim, following back to the cops to as uh-huh. you know, they respond. You know, there's, and then the 53 version again, you know, we start with, you know, showing us what the city is and the mm-hmm. opening shot of, uh, you know, this version of lodger is an overview of LA. So, you, you know, I mean, even visually they, they borrow some cues from the, uh, the original. When you talk about the actual story though, you it really tries to steer you in several different directions. The husband may mm-hmm. be the killer because he's right. keeping odd hours and he's mm-hmm. drunkard and he seems like he might have a violent streak to him. He's very abusive mm-hmm. to his wife. Uh, you've got the wife that may be unstable. You've got the mm-hmm. lodger coming and going. And then you've got the thing with the, uh, the police detective even where, you know, he's driven his wife crazy mm-hmm. and his daughter won't talk to him. His daughter won't talk to him and he possibly frame somebody for some previous murders. So, right. And he's, he's kind of a loose cannon. And so, yeah, his you know, there's, you've got all well, these fucking and, suspects. And, you know, they did a lot of, of clever things. Like they were talking about, well, first of all, I thought it was pretty cool that they were looking for a Jack the Ripper copycat killer. I mean, 
you know, to put it, I mean, how else would you do a lodger except for that, you know, a different killer in, in the year 2009, but to make him a, a Jack the Ripper copycat, and we end up finding out that he does things exactly like Jack did back in the day, or exactly what, you know, anyways, that's a long story. But, and then, you know, we also had, um, uh, you know, the fact that they mentioned that Whitechapel was the same size, basically, as, um, what was it, West Hollywood? where these murders were going on. I can't remember if it was West or East Hollywood or, or what. But, I mean, it yeah, seemed like it's... And wasn't okay. even the name of the street, Whitechapel? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so... It seemed, and when you said they make nods to it, I think it's more of that. I think there were more of those than maybe an actual remake because, I mean, the the this focused a lot more on issues between, you know, the, the, the husband and the wife's uh, marriage. You know... Uh, the 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 wife's is she crazy is she not um you know the 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 inspector's family you know the inspector's relationship between his wife and the inspector's relationship between his daughter you know it's it did a lot of um you know exploring different themes and you know different topics which hey in my which i'm not saying is a bad thing at all i'm just saying it didn't it just didn't quite give me the same feel as the original lodger However, that being said, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the movie. It just seemed to be more of a run-of-the-mill type of suspense, action, what thriller type of movie to me. Yeah, well, and see, the thing is, you if you look at, well, the three versions we've talked about so far, you uh-huh. know, you're talking about very strong performances by the character The Lodger. You know, it's the title character. This is where your focus is, is on this right. guy. And then you've got three guys delivering great performances uh novello palance and crager all of them delivering these amazing fucking performances and honestly the lodger in this is kind of the weakest fucking character there is well Uh, he's he's almost incidental exactly and that's what i'm gonna say it's almost like he's a secondary uh character and and we're trying to figure and he's just the impetus for what's going on with everybody else you know that's around him and that's what they focus on more And and that's what i mean by, yeah. you know, kind of being different. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm, I'm with you there 100%. And you, you do still kind of have the love triangle between the lodger, you know, the woman, uh, the landlady. She is very much obsessed with him. My, my problem with this is I think it maybe tried to go in too many different directions. Right. Um, of, overall, I enjoy, I was entertained for an hour and a half. I mean, I, Me too. I mean. Well, and I love it, Alfred Molina. I, I think I, I that guy is. Is, is yeah, Doc in, in Doc Ock fucking rules, but I think yeah, he, oh, I, yeah. But some of the some of the, I mean, there was a little bit of clunkiness. Like for instance, you already had two previous murders, somebody convicted right. for them, and mm-hmm. then the murders start happening, and then you've got the uh, medical examiner saying, "Oh, well, you you know how I said it was just like this guy? Well, actually, you know, this is actually just like Jack the Ripper." And then you find right. out Molino is actually an expert on fucking Jack the Jack. Ripper. Well, and, and so why didn't he spot it? I mean, writing, not of yeah, Doc Ock. No, but and there there were some scenes that I mean, you never really find out exactly what happened between him and his wife to kind of like set her off right. the edge. I think I mean one more draft of the script, maybe tighten some stuff up, because I can see where they were going with some things. Like for instance, uh, Molino's uh, partner on this case mm-hmm. you know he's brought got a young partner and he's the grizzled veteran and right. you know he, he gives him shit over being gay and then like three quarters away through the movie you find out that the detective is 
he's straight, he's married, and you know, he's just been playing along, you know, just the fucking you know, fuck <laughs> with Molina. But you know, it it it's it's one of those things where when I watched it, I was like, okay, was the writer saying okay, just throwing this in is kind of like, oh ha ha, he went gay after all, you know. Right. Exactly. Or or was it one of those things where the writer threw it in to say, okay, you know, I'm fucking with your perspective of things. Well, and, and to be honest and with there you, was I mean, a lot of that were, going on where, it's, yeah, it seemed like there was a lot of things in there to take our minds away from, you know, to, to try to, to, to distract us almost, you yeah. know, and, and they don't, and it ends up that, that, yeah, okay, this is set up this way, but we don't really end up knowing why and it doesn't end up mattering anyway. So who cares type of deal? Yeah. And you know, it does have a big, big fucking twist ending. Oh, yeah. And is almost two twist endings. And uh-huh. even it was a little clunky, I thought, because you get the big reveal and then uh, the landlady says something that completely contradicts what you just heard 30 seconds right. ago. Right. And then you get like the other fucking you know, epilogue. And so it was kind of like, okay, yeah, one more draft before you go to shooting. Okay. <laughs> Well, and like you said, tighten, it was an tighten enjoyable this shit, movie. Tighten this shit up. I just, I mean, it just, it, it was obviously not, I mean, as if we expect it to be in this day and age anymore, I guess. But uh, it was obvious that there was much more care taken in the three other versions. And I, I wish I would have had a chance to see the 32 version as well. And there's also some other one with a different name, and I can't remember exactly what it was, um, that uh, is, is supposedly based on the same book. But didn't get a chance to get a hold of that one either hell you already we are we already watched four movies for classics come on yeah really that's like a (laughs) a shitload yeah and 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 that's one of the one of the things when uh yeah we were talking about this originally and you're like what the fuck is this a jfmp episode (laughs) exactly no i'll tell you what though i I really like this is your fucking idea bitch (laughs) i'll tell you what though i mean having watched all these it uh and, and getting just the you know the subtle differences and getting kind of all these takes on the same story ended up being really interesting, and uh, you know I'm I I have to say that I'll probably revisit 44 and 53 quite a few more times, and uh, you know and show it to other other people and and uh, just because I mean I thought those two were really excellent movies. The 27 version it'd be hard for me to get anybody to sit through a silent movie. I mean even though but. I don't know. The, the, the one problem I did have with the silent version, and this is probably has nothing to do with Alfred Hitchcock, is the copy I had, the, the soundtrack to that was silly almost. You know, it, was, it, it did not keep the somber mood. You know, so I actually turned it off, uh, sound off after you know, going through it, at, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. There were, yeah, there were, there were, is that yeah, cheating? Well, no, not really, I don't think. But I, I, I assume think, that was added later it, maybe even. Well, and uh, that's what I'm try- trying to think because I've got it on DVD and then I watched it again on archive.org while I was at uh-huh. work just for the hell of it. Right. And uh, I don't think I had the sound on when I watched like my DVD copy. Oh, really? Yeah. So, it, but the one on archive.org, I mean, yeah, you get like the kind of like ragtime piano whenever the old couple. Well, together and, it, and, and it took place during the twenties. So, I mean, that was kind of the popular guess, music, I assume. But yeah, they did the the one on archive.org. I know they did a uh, fairly decent job. You know, if you know, whenever it was supposed to be menacing, you got menacing music. It, it wasn't too bad, right? Uh, yeah, well, and they did the same thing here too. It's just that 
when it wasn't supposed to be menacing. It was like crazy, happy, fun time music, which it didn't really make sense, you know, either. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. I turned yeah. it off after a while. Enjoyed the, the heck out of the movie. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a great movie. And, and it's, I mean, it's not, it's perfectly, pl- perfectly paced. It's not mm-hmm. too long. It doesn't overstay its welcome by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a silent movie, you know, like, like I said, fuck, I've watched it twice in this past week. I've seen it like probably three times before that. So, well, I watched it. I actually watched it twice. The first time was when we originally, you know, in preparation for, because of course we had to move it back because we always do. Yeah. But, uh, you know, our schedule recording back, but I watched this again last night, uh, two times the speed and it was actually really, it was actually still a real entertaining movie. I just wanted to kind of get refreshed. I didn't, you know, I wasn't like trying to read the cliff notes or anything like that, but no, it was still, it was still pretty entertaining. Yeah. And, um, as, as far as the 32 version goes, I watched, my understanding is, um, IMDB doesn't have anything about it, but apparently there are two cuts of it. One of them's 85 minutes and one of them 67 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, I think in England they released the 85-minute cut, and in the U.S. they released the 67-minute cut under the name The Phantom Fiend. That, and um, that, that's, the one I was, that's the one I was mentioning when I said there's another version of it, The Phantom Fiend, but anyway. Yeah, and what you, what you have there, Hitchcock was actually invited to remake his own movie in 1932. Mm-hmm. However, he passed. So um, what's his face? Uh, Ivor Novella stepped in, mm-hmm. rewrote the script uh, to add perhaps a little bit of ambiguity. And um, mm-hmm. I forget who else was involved in this. Uh, Maurice Elvey was the director of it. Uh, Got to be honest with you, even at 67 minutes, or maybe it was the fact that it was a 67-minute cut. Seemed mm-hmm. very, it, it seemed very disjointed. Uh, Ivor Novella... You know, we talked about how hard it was. I know we've had this conversation before when we were talking about uh, Conrad Veidt. Uh-huh. How he, you know how he was such an amazing actor; he could make that transition from silent movies to talkies. Oh, uh huh. Novella, not so much. Uh, he. Oh, really? And it's kind of like this weird thing. You've got the newspaper reporter as the uh, third corner of the triangle. Uh, mm. The inspector is just a welcome part. wasn't even credited, but it was George Sanders again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very so, just. So, did they do any just reusing of the old stuff? They just redid the whole thing. Yeah, it's a it's a completely brand new ah. uh, sound version of the movie. Uh, new script written uh, partially by Novello. And uh, there's a there's actually I, I just looked on archive.org and you can download or watch uh, the Phantom Fiend from 1932 right off here. Yeah, and I'm downloading it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's kind of just it's kind of disjointed. Uh, Novello has this kind of odd foreign accent. Somehow they've their big thing is they have discovered that uh, the I guess the killer is a foreigner, possibly an escaped lunatic, uh, who shows up on the same night. Uh, your lead actress uh, playing Daisy Elizabeth Allen. She mm-hmm. plays a telephone operator of all things. I have no clue fucking why. Um, so there's absolutely nothing. Whereas, like in the Hitchcock version, you know he's after blondes, so you know mm-hmm. she's a potential victim. Uh, right. In 
the 44 and 53, you know, he's after actresses. So the actress in the house is a potential victim. Here you've got a telephone operator, and I don't know what the fuck makes her a potential victim other than the fact that, you know, she's she's there. Mm-hmm. Um, Novello didn't quite do, you know, as great as he was, as good as he was in the first version. Uh, in this version of it, it's just kind of, just kind of comes off as weird. Um, and, I mean, all in all, compared to the other even the other four versions, I think it's probably the weakest. Really? Yeah, I, I was really disappointed in it. Maybe I need to hunt down the eighty-five minute cut and see. Yeah, if the maybe one the one on archive more... is the sixty-two minute. Is that is that is that where you said you got this one? I actually watched this one on YouTube, but it was about <clears throat> oh, okay. to, but it was is the same cut uh, mm-hmm. divided into like you know fifteen minute segments. Right. So so it ran right at sixty-two, sixty-three minutes. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it, it I had it had a real time hard time holding my attention. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to give it a shot. I you know I just I mean, the story if you got is, an hour to kill, yeah, it's I mean it's I'll take it. I'll take it to work. See. I don't do shit there anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where I watched it. So you know, it, I mean it's it's an interesting, it's a different take. Uh, you have different motivations. You've got a different uh, ending. But all in all, compared to the other versions. It, was kind of weak for me mm. i guess one last thing i want to mention because we didn't really talk about it that much is uh the direction in the 1944 version uh, we kind of talked about you know like the opening scene right mm-hmm. where you know uh, the director's name was john brahm and i mean, his direction is actually very very solid uh Krager mm-hmm. gets all the credit as you know being you know in the title role and for his uh, representation of the character. Mm-hmm. But the direction in this I thought was very solid. You've got some very interesting camera work going on. Like I said, just that opening first, like, three or four minutes, the first murder, where you got right. the camera following the cops down the street, and then following the victim and moving you know, back and forth through the city. I thought it was very ambitious for 1944. And, you know, it just goes on from there. He's got, you know, some interesting stuff going on visually throughout the movie. Um, I just didn't want to gloss well, he, over it and, you know, throw everything on Krager because. Uh, well, no, and I also noticed that there, I mean, he even, I mean, even looking back to to some of the, I mean, not the, exactly the German expressionism, but, I mean, he did a lot with shadows. He, you know, he did a lot with, um, you know, there there was one specific scene in the, in the end where, you know, uh, What's his name? Slade's on the run, and he basically gets backed into a corner. Well, Krager puts up, you know, makes his face these big giant eyeballs, and and then the the camera moves up into it, and and his his face fills the screen. You know, that was like that was, I mean, that that makes an impact on, on you know, and I don't want to give it away, but of, mm-hmm. of what he is about to do. You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really no, it's, good. It's stuff. great stuff, and it's and it's, uh, you know, and I I think that. Uh, they treated when Kreger was on screen. I think they did the camera work a little bit different to enhance, you know, his his presence. I mean, I mean, he was a big guy too, but I mean, he was a big and he was menacing. But I mean, I I think he and honestly, I think he may have needed some help going for that, um, the, uh, you know, the soft spoken kind of uh, uh, what do you call that? Oh my gosh, I forgot the word. 
anyway, you know, when when saying something could could set him off at any moment, his vulnerability, things like that. But anyway, no, yeah, I, think, and, I think and going, I mean, going back to Hitchcock, you'll see a lot of a lot of shots in uh, the forty four version where Krager will be at the top of the stairs, and you've got mm-hmm. you know the camera shooting up at him, which right. kind of makes him an even more menacing figure. Right. Uh, you know, he just looms over the fucking, you know, the, the scene. It's fucking, uh, just fucking brilliant work. Awesome. So uh, just a more discount, uh, John Brahm's contributions to the fucking movie. Sorry, Mr. Brahm, we didn't bring it up till now. Yeah, I don't even know if he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. I already apologized to him. Oh, did you? When, when, we, you, when, when we met, you, yeah, when we first met. Anyways, uh, yeah, he you got did die in 1982. Are we, are we, have we exhausted them? Oh, did he? Um, no, I know I that just, this wasn't this. I'm sorry. I was. I mean, I was just going to say. You know, there's there's so much talk about. Oh, yeah, I'm sick of fucking remakes. Sick of fucking remakes. I think this just goes to show. You know, here's a movie that was remade. Uh, you know, a total. We've got a total of five different versions of this movie so far. And uh, two of which, I mean, two of which were very close. I mean, the 1927 to the 1932, and even nine years between 44 and 53. But they were both excellent, awesome yeah, movies. You, yeah, you. Uh, I think you've got three movies that are are fucking brilliant. You've got uh, one that's very entertaining and one that's kind of weak, but still, you know, if you got an hour to kill, it's worth fucking watching. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's not. It's it's what you do with the fucking idea, not the fact right. that it's you know these old ideas. You know, we're talking, and plus, this thing has been a stage play. Uh, it's been, mm-hmm. I think there's been radio adaptations of it. Oh, I, yeah, there's a lot of those out there, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, this this is, if you've got a solid story and, you know, the talent to fucking bring it to life, you, it doesn't matter if it's a remake or not. Uh, you can fucking do something good with it. And I think that's what kind of Hollywood is, you know, they're just Missing. looking for the quick, yeah, they're, they're looking for the quick Paycheck. You know, opening weekend, you know, make mm-hmm. our 50 million cover our fucking costs. You know, right. and we'll fucking make our money on the DVD sales. Who gives a fuck if we put out a good movie with a solid fucking story? Right. So, you know, if you put the right person behind a remake, then, yeah, you're going to end up with good stuff. Absolutely. Because, I mean, even the 53 version was practically the exact same story, many of the same scenes, blah, blah, blah. And it was still excellent. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it. I think it even was just because of the, the, the portrayal of Slade and, you know, some of the different things. I, I don't think it was, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to say if it was necessary or unnecessary, but I, but I do say that it brought, it, it brought new life to, um, you know, the story itself. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you a hundred percent, dude. Cool, man. Well, that was fun. That was fun talking about all those movies. I mean, I hadn't seen any of these before is, is what usually happens with cadaver classes, but I really enjoyed myself. <laughs> Even though that was a mini JFMP episode, yeah, uh, yeah, it was kind of along that line, but still, uh, yeah, we do, I, I do have it. one more special thing, okay, you know, it, that, that I'm going to put on the end of this. This this wasn't exactly a Jack the Ripper show, but I happen to know a somewhat of a Jack the Ripper expert. Um, Brian from the Hammockus podcast sent in a, an MP3 uh, talking about one of his passions, which is studying and learning a lot about Jack the Ripper. So I'm going to put that at the end. And I'm not putting this at the end because it's like, oh, we need to stick it on, you know, and we'll just stick it at the end. I'm putting it on just because, I mean, once we start the ball talk, 
it's over. You know, that we're not, we don't take breaks at this place, you know, but, yeah. but it's really interesting. I listened to it today and it's actually, it's actually really awesome. So uh, stay tuned for that for sure. Yeah. And uh, as, as far as Jack the Ripper goes, you know, these movies are not historically accurate as far as the Jack the Ripper story right. goes. Mm-hmm. Um, Horror, et cetera, just did a Jack the Ripper episode. Oh, did they? Yeah. And they briefly mentioned the lodger. Uh, I just got to say, this happens all the time with me and Ted because it's like, well, we seem to be on the same fucking train of thought a lot of the times. <laughs> we actually did pick the lodger before the horror, et cetera, episode <laughs> came out. <laughs> well, you, you know what happens is we will pick a we'll pick a, a subject and then we'll just procrastinate and scheduling conflicts and stuff. So by the time we actually do it, everybody else and their dogs done it because it's been so long. You yeah. Know? yeah, there's actually, only so many topics you could do. <laughs> But yeah, uh, so I I guess that's all I fucking got, man. Sweet. Just want to remind everybody: send us some emails. Send us uh, your what? What are we asking for? Uh, ball stories. Yeah, We're so sweet. classy. We're so classy. It's awesome. Uh, the number is two zero six three five zero three four nine two. Email us at classics at cadaverlab dot com, or if you want to get a hold of us specifically, uh, what what's your podcast at jfmp dot com? Yeah, that's or, my email address. And then I'll uh, I'll get the classics, or you can email to Mike at cadaverlab.com. But uh, other than that, uh, thanks for coming on, man. I had a great time. Always a pleasure, my friend. Now, since we got All our right. own show now, do we have to like uh, come up with like? A See you. Pulse- Fuck off. <laughs> That's it. It's over now. Stay tuned for Brian's. It's gonna be awesome. Dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but that won't fix me yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and I won't start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with. But it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough to high hope. Ha ha! The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work. Then give it out straight. My knife so nice and sharp. I want to get to work with it right away, if I get the chance. Good luck, yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha <laughs> ha! Hey everyone, uh, Brian here from the Hamakus Podcast. I have a passion, and it sort of followed me through my entire life. Uh, I really am fascinated by Jack the Ripper and many other serial killers. Um, and to my delight, when Mike informed me about uh, the uh, the Lodger episodes, I thought, you know, this could be a perfect time for me to uh, start blabbing my own theory. So, um, you know, so now the reason I like serial killers, basically, you know, I love the psychology. I just enjoy, you know, how they do what they do. You know, how there's like that, uh, you know, the mindset that they they are forced. They, you know, they, it's just, uh, you know, it's their passion and their fascination. Um, I love how they get away for so long, and I, I like, you know, how they end up getting caught, 
and the, the police work that uh, goes into it. You know, it's all about psychology of the, the human the human form. So anyway, uh, you know, I was wondering about all the different um, suspects over the years, and I'd like to start off with, uh, you know, fiction to solve Jack the Ripper. I was not cutting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jack's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit. Couldn't finish straight off. Had got no time to get her ears off. For the police. Thanks for keeping this letter back. Till I go to work again. Jack the Ripper. So the uh, Jack the Ripper crimes have never been solved. And uh, I think that's why we've got the fascination. Often, you know, um, there's so many theories. Like thousands and thousands and thousands. I have my own. I've been studying uh, the Ripper case for over 20 years now. Um, as a child, you know, my my uh, bedroom was covered in and gorgeous images of slain prostitutes and uh, clothes, like basically like a a, cr uh, a crime scene investigation office would have been. Um, you know, so I've just been fascinated, you know, for years and years now. So I'm going to uh, talk about some of the um, the suspects. You know, and the 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 theory. So I want to start off with a jovial, you know, how fiction has uh, solved solved the Ripper. So I know there was a graphic novel about the Alan and Doctor Moreau, and it turned out that Jack the Ripper was actually a monkey, and it was Moreau's first uh, creation. You know, uh, mixing a monkey with a man's brain, um, and then he was running around London. That's why Moreau had to piss off to his island. So yeah, Star Trek also had. Um, a ripper case, and it was actually a, a parasite called Red Jack that uh, would would bond itself to a humanoid, and it was actually responsible for the uh, the Ripper murders, along with uh, serial killings in Shanghai, Kiev, and apparently the Martian colonies. Doctor Who also had a stab at it. Did you see that? A stab? Oh, oh, oh. Um, and it turned out that um, Jack the Ripper was one of the uh, Dark Matrix computer that harbors all the Time Lord's evil impulses, and he plans to unleash the Dark Matrix on the universe and transform it into an unimaginable nightmare. Unfortunately, they did not film this section. They, uh, it, it was a book. It, it showed up in an unfilmed script for the 1996 Doctor Who movie with uh, your man who is not Richard E. Grant, but was in With Now and I. Sorry, his name escapes me. Also, The Outer Limits uh, did uh, a Ripper episode. I think it was your man, Carrie Ellis, actually was in that one. Um, and it turns out that it's a, an alien as well. Um, it's an interesting show, you know, you should try and catch it. And one of my favourite ones is uh, Time After Time, the film with Malcolm McDowell and David Warner. And uh, this is actually Jack the Ripper Escapes to the Future using H.G. Wells' Time Machine. Now, this is a great film, you know, I really enjoy it. And uh, we'll be covering it soon on the Hamakas podcast. Um, you know, it sort of mix, mixes and matches you know, fact, because we, we know the fact of H.G. Uh, Wells and then obviously mixing his fiction with the time machine and then fact and fiction with, with uh, uh, J.D.R. So, um, also, <coughs> uh, Robert Block, again, the psycho uh, writer, he has done a lot with uh, yours truly, Jack the Ripper, in modern day, um, modern day Chicago, Babylon 5, uh, the episode Comes the Inquisitor, uh, this was a Harlan Ellison contributed to this episode um, and the Vol the, Vol the Vorlons employ an inquisitor a human male named Sebastian who is especially capable of inflicting violence without remorse 
Sheridan learns that Sebastian, known to his early history only as Jack, was abducted from London in 1888, in the very day after Jack the Ripper committed his final murder. Ooh. He escaped to America in uh, Gotham by Gaslight. Um, Gotham by Gaslight, you know, it's a Batman versus Jack the Ripper. Very, very interesting. I don't want to spoil the ending because maybe some people haven't um, seen that one. Um, then, yep. And one of my favorite ones is, was Jack the Ripper actually the Loch Ness Monster? This was on uh, the Amazon Ten Women from Mars or whatever film, and, and uh, Henry Silver uh, <laughs> is hosting a bullshit or not, and uh, he comes out and says bullshit or not, and then they have a very comical uh, Loch Ness monster uh, dressed up as Jack the Ripper, you know, murdering <laughs> prostitutes. So that's pretty cool. So uh, happy days. Now we'll get on to the to the to the actual, you know. Uh, From hell. Mr. Lusk, sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you t'other piece. I fried and ate it, it was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that I took it out, if only you would wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Um, so the real theories, you know, there have been so many incredible you know, fantastical ideas of, of who he was, you know, was he the, the was he the, the prince or the king or the king's surgeon or, uh, you know, and, and, and truth be told, more than likely it was just going to be some run-of-the-mill, just average joke that uh, really did nothing <laughs> and was not famous or cool at all except for being being Jack Ripper and I'm sure it'll let a lot of people down, but again, you know, you have to sell books, so the more fantastical and... Uh, Hypothetical, you can get, you know, is going to get the theory. Now, what's great is because the subject matter never changes, but it is still so fascinating to return to it again and again and again, just to see how people will sort of mix and match the uh, the clues and the, and the facts and the fiction to uh, create their own um, their own idea. So, you know, there is a load. You know, we'll start with uh, Walter Sickard. You know, he was actually an artist. Um, and he was in London at the time, but uh, you know apparently it was him because he his his paintings were quite uh, disturbed. So obviously it was him because he would paint the pictures, which I think was uh, stupid. There was a, an actor uh, who was in Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, an American actor, um, and he was apparently because he was so convincing on the stage. Um, you've also got uh, Francis Tumblety. A lot of people say that he kept um, thousands of women's uteruses in um, in jars while he travelled around. He was an American, and he he disappeared off to America, and they did actually follow up on him, um, but then he he uh, sort of fell into obscurity. Now you've also got James Maybrook. Now he came up because of the forgery of Jack the Ripper's uh, diary, which which came out in the 80s or maybe early 90s. It was. Uh, uh, usual story, you know, some man found it under the floorboards and then sold it to a guy in a pub. Um, and then it it, it, it it sort of was fact for a while until they sort of realized that it was just a total joke. So James Maybrook was the main um, suspect that came out of that, which was actually, you know, very interesting that somebody would take the time to forge this entire diary. Um, and, you know, 
sort of link it to Maybrook because he was a an, an actual a real a real person. One of the joke jokiest ones to me is um, Lewis Carroll, who wrote. Um, uh, yep, uh, yep. Um, Alice in Wonderland, and apparently in Alice in Wonderland, if you can, it's actually a confession to the murders, and if you rearrange all the letters, uh, you get an entire confession to the, the murders, which was actually, you could do that with the Bible, or you could do that with uh, North and South, or or any book that has a large number of letters or or words in it. Um, you know, so you know, all this stuff is out there. You know, go out and, and get it. But my my theory, and uh, perhaps the be all and end all, is actually a guy called James Kelly, and he was uh, in a mental asylum, um, and then he actually escaped and buggered off to um, to America. You know, he was in the mental asylum um, in 1860. And uh, he actually escaped. He was the only person ever to escape from the Broadmoor Asylum. And Broadmoor, you know, is that a great uh, history of its own self through um, uh, fiction and fact. You know, uh, I, uh, Dracula, his wee man that eats the flies, he's in Broadmoor. A lot of Sherlock Holmes is Broadmoor. It's basically the uh, the the inspiration for Arkham Asylum in the Batman uh, series. So yeah, so. Um, so James Kelly, you know, he escaped and um, he disappeared off to America. He was actually in jail because he murdered his wife by stabbing her in the neck. And he was deemed insane, so he was sent off to Broadmoor Asylum. And then he escaped in 1888 and he, by using a key that was fashioned by himself. Um, after the last Ripper murder in London, November 1888, the police searched for Kelly at what had been his residence prior to his wife's murder. But they were not able to locate him. In 1927, Almost 40 years after his escape, he unexpectedly turned himself back into officials at the Broadmoor Asylum, and he died two years later, uh, presumably of, of natural causes. Um, so there's ideas, you know, you can sort of, because people don't really know where he went after he escaped, but there are the theories that he uh, went to to America, and you can sort of place these Ripper murders that were basically, you know, killing prostitutes, not to the same ferocity as, as uh, Jack did, but... Um, you know, you can still place them um, and, and sort of show his uh, his movement throughout throughout America, and then it's just very interesting that he just suddenly turned up back into the same asylum, you know, 40 years later, and it is it, you know, but I do think because he was uh, a furniture upholsterer, so he was you know strong with a knife, you know, and a, a lot of the the knives and, and the slash wounds, you know, could 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 match the. Uh, the upholstery knife that uh, he used. So, anyway, so that's my theory. You know, I, I do believe that. Well, I don't know what I believe, but I think that he is a good one because he's, he's just a, a normal guy. You know, um, he wasn't the, the prince or the king, and he wasn't an alien. He wasn't um, whoever. But uh, anyway, it's still fascinating to me, and I, I uh, hope that you find this interesting and if you would like to contact me uh, it's amicus at gmail.com or my voicemail is 206-203-0856 if memory serves if memory doesn't amicus.com so happy days one and all I look forward to your episode and I will be following my own um, uh, ripper film uh, reviews down the line so cheers